This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. My guest Bradley Cooper directed, co-wrote, and stars in the new film Maestro. He plays the internationally famous composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein. Also with us is the internationally famous conductor, who served as Cooper's conducting consultant, Yannick Nézé-Séguin. He's the music and artistic director of the Philadelphia Orchestra, music director of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, and principal conductor of the Orchestra Metropolitan de Montreal. Bernstein is considered the first great American conductor. He led the New York Philharmonic from 1957 to 69. He wrote classical music. His most popular music was the music he wrote for Broadway musicals, including On the Town, Wonderful Town, West Side Story, and Candide, and the score for the film On the Waterfront. Maestro is about his music life and his personal life. He was a very public figure, appearing often on TV and leading the Philharmonic in his young people's concerts. A major part of his life was kept hidden from the public. Although he was married to the actress Felicia Cohn Montalegre, and they had three children together, he was bisexual or gay and had flirtations and boyfriends during the years he was married. Felicia is played by Carrie Mulligan. Bradley Cooper also wrote, directed, and starred in the 2018 adaptation of A Star is Born and starred in Nightmare Alley, American Sniper, American Hustle, Silver Linings Playbook, and The Hangover Films. Bradley Cooper, Yannick Nézé-Séguin, welcome back to both of you. I really enjoyed this movie and am grateful to have the chance to talk with you both. Uh, The pleasure's ours. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Oh, thank you, Yannick. Bradley, you wanted to conduct since you were a child. And you asked for a baton as a birthday gift when you were a kid, and you conducted records in your bedroom. Rather, before learning how to conduct for real, when you were conducting as a kid, did you just like basically wave your arms around a lot passionately when you were air conducting? I, I mean, I won't take offense to that, Terry. But no, 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 no oh, no offense intended. <laughs> but I would, I, I think there was more, I there was more musicality involved. But yes, one could make the argument. But no, I felt. Um, I mean, I, obviously, I love music, rhythm, um, and there was something magical about being able to physically move to a rhythm and that the changing of rhythms um always and then having a baton and then in my imagination be able to uh perceive that i was actually harnessing and 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 commanding that music i mean it was really like a magic trick every time all i needed was music and that baton and i felt like i could be a wizard you know bradley I did the same exactly at the same age. And I, I do believe that, you know, maybe we, Terry, we were waving arms passionately because in a way, the first immediate um, draw that we have with conducting, and I know if I speak for myself, of course, I was learning piano. But when I got interested to say, well, how can it be magical that someone waves their arm and just having this magic wand and music happens and it's a group. And Yannick, what is your relationship musically to Bernstein? Was he an important figure in your musical education? Bernstein was hands down always my greatest conducting model. Um, I 
unfortunately can't call him a mentor because he passed away. Uh, I was 15. Well, we were both 15, <laughs> Bradley and I. So, but still, from the recordings, the the videos, because it's he's of course a very documented conductor. Um, I always felt when, even when I was a teenager, that this is the way I wanted to express music on a podium, just express with all my body and not being shy of showing my emotions on the podium. So um, I'm really not the only one to say this, but clearly Bernstein was uh, a great role model. So uh, there's a piece, it's kind of like the musical centerpiece of the film is when, uh, Bradley, you as Bernstein are conducting Mahler's second, the final movement, and this is also known as the Resurrection Symphony. And um, you're conducting with enormous passion. Um, And I want to talk with you about conducting that. I want to talk with both of you about that. And then I want to play an excerpt of that piece. So let's get to Yannick. Let's start with you. This is a very complicated piece to conduct. It, you know, there's, um, there's, I think, a hundred people in the chorus and a hundred musicians, and they're kind of on opposite sides of you. So, like, the conductor has to keep like turning. <laughs> He's conducting like two separate groups at the same time. So let's start there. Like, how, Yannick? How do you do? And two that? soloists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and two yeah. and two vocal soloists. The more the merrier we say, but the more people, the more complex it is to conduct. That's for sure. And uh, the magnitude of this piece in terms of the requirement of, like you just said, the number of people doing so many things at the same time and add to this an organ. So, I mean, this, just from a logistics point of view, from a conduct for a conductor, um, it's the most complex. Now, this specific moment also add to this that it comes at the very end of a very long symphony that's about 90 minutes long so you're almost one hour and a half into blood and sweat and tears of some of the most soulful and profound music that's ever been written Um, and as a conductor you're there you have to keep your mind cool because you need to still direct the traffic for lack of a better (laughs) explanation well, but also being completely emotionally involved in the meaning of this music. And so, you know, personally, that piece has always been so um, important to me that when I got the chance in my early 20s to conduct a Mahler symphony, I jumped on the opportunity to start with the second symphony. Now, I don't recommend this (laughs) as the start because I think it was almost suicidal, but I I survived and it it happened that my first performance ever of this was um, right after 9-11. It was actually in 2001 and that's um, um, really unforgettable for me, um, of course, because of the circumstances. So back to the movie, I I, I believe that... um, it, it It is because it's difficult and because it's challenging, not so much for the logistics, but really emotionally, I think this is why it's so important that it's it's in the movie and that's really the scene that we see. And that's why, Bradley, you chose this really, really almost at the beginning uh, that th- this is the music you wanted to be part of the movie. And, and isn't it true, too, that Bernstein championed Mahler, that 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. that Bernstein kind of brought Mahler into the canon. Before Bernstein, Mahler was completely snubbed, overlooked. Everybody was saying, oh, Mahler is overblown. Mahler is exaggerated. Mahler, uh, he was completely misunderstood. And if you think about it, Bernstein himself was misunderstood when he was alive. But then now we're a few decades after Bernstein's past. And this is, I believe, where we understand him more. And same happened with Mahler, but it needed someone. And that someone was Leonard Bernstein, who really put Mahler into the core repertoire because he was such an advocate, but also such a great interpreter of him. So Bradley, what did you do to um, get as accurately as you could what Bernstein did to uh, conduct this piece? I mean, it was it's a very... Um tricky endeavor because um, I had no desire to imitate what he was doing um, because that would have been um, a soulless, in my experience, endeavor. And I learned that um, early on and um, when I did American Sniper, it was the best way to create a human being would be to take all of myself and the research and of Chris Kyle was the, the human and then the character in American Sniper. And it was, wasn't doing an imitation of Chris Kyle, but immersing myself enough in the world and letting that sort of alchemy occur. Now, there's this incredible video of Lenny conducting this piece in 1973 in Ely Cathedral with the London Symphony Orchestra, which is exactly what we replicated. But I always knew that I wasn't going to just imitate what he was doing. It was actually finding that middle ground. And Yannick was, in particular, so um, uh, supportive of, of, of me as Lenny finding whatever that mode of conducting is, which was, of course, infused entirely by not only the interpretation of the score, which is what we did um, in terms of tempo, but, but also in terms of his gesticulating and all of that. But having it be original, because... The goal was to conduct in real time this piece and record it. So the part I want to start with um, at the end of Resurrection is um, where there's a slight pause in the music. It's like one beat, and then the music begins again. And when the music begins again, right after a choral part, um, or I should say a soloist part, um, you as Bernstein jump and, you know, you jump in the air and, and continue conducting. Was jumping a kind of Bernstein thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and in particular, he jumps in that moment, in that piece. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's wonderful photographs of him, you know, levitating above the podium and uh, many recordings <laughs> of one being able to hear his feet stomping on the podium after having been, you know, uh, a foot in the air. Um, so yeah, that was one of his trademark uh, sonic uh, gifts to his uh, conducting. Yannick, do you ever jump? <laughs> uh, I do. I unfortunately do a lot, but I, I say unfortunately. I don't think I should be ashamed of it. You know, sometimes we're taught uh, in school, it's still taught that conducting should be this and that and in a box and not too much of this and not too much of that. And I don't want to hear to insult any great conducting teachers, you know, around the world. You know, they're doing amazing work, but sometimes we forget that conducting is about just living the music. And at that moment, that's what Lenny taught all of us in a way. At that moment, the music is jumping. There is this big, it's almost like the whole world is waking up. So one needs to illustrate that. And why not 
jump, you know, as long as it's organic. One more thing I want to ask before we hear the music, and that is there are passages in this in which, Bradley, you have your mouth wide open as if just, <laughs> you know, like singing along or just expressing this sense of awe with your, your mouth like wide open. Um, and um, Yannick, I think I've seen you do that at the podium. Am I right? I cannot imagine conducting mouth closed, especially not when there's a chorus. I mean, conductors, we don't sing. We might moan a bit or whatever happens uh, through our mouth. Oh, I feel like I'm quoting one line from the movie now, but <laughs> no spoilers. Um, <laughs> um, but but what, what I'm saying is that, yeah, Lenny did that a lot. And I think we all do it because it's, yeah, it's kind of breathing it's it's letting even more the sound feeling open when we let our mouth open there's something that you know the arms are open the heart is open um and therefore the mouth is just opening up all that's possible for one of the greatest um, climactic moments in in the music and Bradley do you want to talk about conducting with your mouth open like that what was going through your mind it's very funny you say that. So, so, <laughs> um, so I did notice that I opened my mouth a lot um, just conducting to um, to 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 a recording of anything, and um, and thank goodness Lenny did that in the in the in the video from from 1973. As I recall, he's only opening his mouth when he's actually saying the words of uh, Mahler's resurrection that the chorus is saying. Um, and I would, that, what, what's in the movie is the, is the last take. The, the way it went down is I really messed up the whole first day. And also I had, I, because I had entered into it uh, with fear and 99% of the movie I went into fearlessly, but I'd set up all of these cameras really thinking that, um, deep down, I wasn't going to be able to conduct it and I'd have to cut, edit, create a scene out of, in the editing room. And so I went into it already fearful. And obviously when you do that, uh, you can be, um, struck by fear and then not be able to succeed. And so I was behind tempo. I forgot to cue people and, and I messed up. And the second day, which we weren't even supposed to shoot that scene, um, I brought in the technocrane, which is a, a manner of filming uh, at, from outside uh, into the hall, and I created one single shot, which is what it always should have been. So because I really let loose that last take and I did an audible prayer in front of everybody to Lenny, thanking him and thanking them, and we did it one more time, and I really allowed myself true abandon. And that's why my mouth was open. And that's sort of more than I would have liked. But it was so pure and real that I thought, no, this is it. This is it. And it's, and it's, it is 100% authentic. So I can't, there, there was no reasoning behind it, Terry, other than that's kind of what um, happened organically. But I was, um, aware that maybe that would be weird but but it's real it's important terry to know that you know it was a crafted interpretation not on click not on anything 
people were playing on Bradley's conducting and I was there guiding and I had been rehearsing, but we crafted an interpretation which would be to explain to the listeners, you know, you can play this Mahler symphony a million ways and you can be a little bit more straightforward and just get and not pull so much before the big chords that are climactic. But actually, you know, Lenny, that's not how he did. He was always holding and holding more and then drawing every little ounce or every little drop of of life out of this music and this is what we crafted and therefore this is the way you conducted Bradley this last take and this is why it's so powerful and I cannot imagine how Lenny would have done this with his mouth closed <laughs> <laughs> all right so time to actually hear the piece of music we've been talking about this is Mahler's second symphony and what we're hearing is the finale, and this is also called the Resurrection Symphony. So here's the end, and again, it starts with Bradley Cooper as Bernstein jumping in the air. This was partly through the finale. Here we go. So that was music from the film Maestro, 
which stars Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein, and that was actually Bradley Cooper conducting the London Symphony Orchestra in a piece that Bernstein conducted and cared passionately about. It's Mahler's second symphony. We heard part of the finale. Also with us is Yannick Nizé-Sagan, who conducts the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, the Philadelphia Orchestra, and the Orchestra Metropolitaine de Montreal. And Yannick served as the conducting consultant for the film. The film is called Maestro. We'll be right back after a short break. I'm Terry Gross, and this is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for NPR and the following message come from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. From quick weekend getaways to international vacations, an annual travel plan from Allianz Travel Insurance can protect your adventures for the next 365 days. And with benefits starting as close as 100 miles from home, you can have peace of mind wherever you go. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. Hi, this is Molly. And I'm Seth. We're two of the producers at Fresh Air. If you like listening to Fresh Air, we think you'll also like reading our newsletter. You'll find the interviews and reviews from the show all in one place. Plus, staff recommendations you won't hear on the show, behind-the-scenes Q&As, bonus audio. It's also the only place to find out what interviews are coming up. We keep it fun, and it comes straight to your inbox once a week. Subscribe for yourself at whyy.org slash freshair. Let's get back to my interview with Bradley Cooper and Yannick Nézé-Séguin. Cooper stars as composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein in the new film Maestro, which Cooper also directed and co-wrote. Yannick Nézé-Séguin served as the film's conducting consultant. He conducts the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, and the Orchestra Metropolitaine de Montreal. Maestro focuses on Bernstein's music life and on his private life. He was famous as the conductor of the New York Philharmonic for his Young People's Concerts, his many TV appearances, and for the music he wrote for the Broadway shows On the Town, Wonderful Town, West Side Story, and Candide. Although he was married to the actress Felicia Cohn Montalegre Bernstein, and they had three children together, he was queer and had flirtations and boyfriends during the years he was married. Felicia is played by Carrie Mulligan. Um, there's a scene that recreates 
a scene from real life in which Felicia and Leonard Bernstein were interviewed on the Edward R. Murrow program, Person to Person, in which people would be interviewed in their homes, and Edward R. Murrow, who was a famous news reporter, especially during World War II when he recorded from England during the bombing of London, he was the interviewer. So I want to play the scene where Leonard Bernstein and Felicia are being interviewed by him, and it starts with Moreau's first question. Benny, it's always, for me, rather difficult to classify you professionally since you do so many things at the same time. What do you consider your primary occupation? I guess I'd have to say that my primary occupation is musician. Anything that has to do with music is my province, wouldn't you say? Whether it's composing it or conducting it or teaching it or studying it or playing it. As long as it's music, I like it and I do it. Uh, Felicia, do you have any trouble keeping up with Lenny's activities? Well, it gets pretty hard, Ed. He's taken on a great many activities. This season promises to be a very hectic one. Among them, he's writing two musical shows. Uh, One of them is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. That's West Side Story with uh, Jerry Robbins and Arthur Lawrence and wonderfully talented young lyricist Stevie Zondheim. And then he's doing four feature presentations in Omnibus, the CBS television program. And, um... You know my schedule better than I do. Felicia, what about you? Are you engaged in other things besides acting? Well, it gets pretty hard to do much more than take care of this household. My husband, uh, the children, and acting takes the rest of the time that's left over. And memorizing my projects. Well, <laughs> I can't help that. Lenny, what's the big difference in the life of composer Bernstein and conductor Bernstein? Well, I, su- I suppose it's a difference. It's a, a personality difference which occurs between any composer versus uh, any, or any creator versus any performer. Uh, uh, any performer, uh, whether it's Toscanini or Tallulah Bankhead or whoever it is, it leads a kind of public life. Uh, uh, an extrovert life, if you will. It's an oversimplified word, but something like that. Whereas a creative person uh, sits alone in this gray studio that you see here and writes all by himself and communicates with the world in a very private way and, and lives a, a rather uh, grand inner life rather than a grand outer life. And if you carry around both personalities... <laughs> I suppose that means you become a schizophrenic, and that's the end of it. <laughs> so that that's a kind of reproduction, almost word for word, of the actual Edward R. Morrow interview with Leonard Bernstein and his wife Felicia, and um, that what we heard was Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. So the first thing I want to ask you about is your voice on that, Bradley. There's several different Bernstein voices during the course of the movie. Cause he's like in his 20s during part of it. He's in his 40s. He's an older man during uh, part of it. And your voice changes throughout. But but talk about that scene where we just heard. What did you try to do with your voice? That's a great question because um, his voice changed dramatically as he got older. There's a wonderful tape of him leaving a message for Jerome Robbins about Fancy Free, which we recreated to a degree in the beginning. And that was the foundation for the young Lenny voice. That Murrow interview, his voice had already started to dip lower 
Um, and he had a deviated septum, and he was always asthmatic, uh, even as a kid, but then because of his smoking, he had you know, tr- trouble breathing, a mouth breather. And I worked with Tim Monaco, I worked with uh, on American Sniper and A Star is Born in Nightmare Alley. And you know, I worked for four years, five days a week, eight hours a day with him to get to a place where you feel like you're not doing an accent or a voice, it just feels like it's you talking. But yeah, it just it's based on reality and what happened to his voice. And again, finding a place of it being a merging of Lenny and me so that I'm not actually imitating a voice, but infusing the character with a voice that uh, feels organic and serves the story. So I want to get to something that Bernstein says at the end of this, and this is also almost word for word what he said to Edward R. Murrow in the actual interview You know, in describing his life as a conductor and composer, he talks about how as a conductor, it's a very kind of public life, meeting people, having a public face, performing in front of audiences. But when he's writing, it's a very like introverted life, alone in a room, um, uh, not being social. Um, And it's hard for him to do that because, you know, he doesn't like being alone very much. Um, I'm wondering if either of you feel similarly because – you know, Yannick, when, you, when you're studying a score, you're not in front of an orchestra. I mean, you're home alone or in your office alone. And, and Bradley, when you're writing, ditto for you, or even when you're re- rehearsing alone, when you're just like looking at your lines, you're going through a process that's a very private, you know, alone kind of process. Do you feel the same kind of split in your lives that Bernstein is talking about in that interview? I remember when I was a very young conductor um, coming to this realization that even, you know, I'm not a composer. I mean, not for the moment, at least, you know, maybe one day if I slow down <laughs> the conducting, but, you know, in a way that's not not a dissimilar tension uh, between, you know, being the music director as it's uh, illustrated in the film for, uh, for the Bernstein. But... You know, me, even just as a conductor, um, as you just said, Terry, I realized very young that I should make sure that this is maybe those two very different polar opposites about being always surrounded with people when you conduct. A rehearsal is, by definition, a lot of people around, and you have to entertain these people in some ways in rehearsal. Like, you have, I have to keep the energy up. I have to... Um, you know, be in charge, basically. And then you get back and you don't even have an instrument for you when you you study uh, a score to conduct. It's complete silence. You know, a pianist will have his piano, a a vocalist will have their voice, um, the flute will practice their flute. (laughs) But, you know, the conductor, it's really in silence. So that uh, scene in the movie resonated very much with me indeed about the public and private... um, aspect of this, you know, let alone, um, I can't imagine what it is, you know, for also if you have to compose on top of this. Um, and, you know, as Bernstein says, uh, if, you know, you might become a schizophrenic <laughs> if you're not careful. Let's take a short break here. I have two guests. Bradley Cooper stars as composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein in the new film Maestro, which Cooper also directed and co-wrote. Yannick Nazay-Sagan served as the film's conducting consultant. He conducts the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, and the Orchestra Metropolitan de Montreal. We'll be right back. This is Fresh Air. Support for NPR and the following message come from PBS. PBS invites you on a trip to the future. 
A Brief History of the Future is a groundbreaking series about people's futures and how they can be reimagined. A Brief History of the Future. Stream now on PBS and the PBS app. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. According to Calendar.com, the average person schedules just 4.5 hours per year on finances. Mass Mutual gets it. Life is busy. If you can't find time to plan your financial future, find someone who can, like a Mass Mutual financial professional. For the last 170 years, they've helped people plan for retirement, college tuition, and any other short or long term financial goals. Learn more at MassMutual.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's get back to my interview with Bradley Cooper and Yannick Nézé-Séguin. Cooper stars as composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein in the film Maestro, which Cooper also directed and co-wrote. Yannick served as Cooper's conducting consultant. He conducts the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. So the movie is not only about Leonard Bernstein and music. It's about Bernstein's personal life and his relationship with his wife, Felicia Cohn Montalegra Bernstein. Um, so she was born in Costa Rica to an American father and a Costa Rican mother with European ancestry, she moved to Chile when she was eight and then to New York in her 20s. She was an actress. Was she a good actress? How, like, What was her acting life like? I would say she was a great actress. Um, you could still see some of her um, television films on YouTube. And when she met Lenny, when they were both in their mid-20s, one could argue that she was more famous than he was. And she moved to America under the guise of taking piano lessons from Claudia Rao, uh, because she didn't want um, her father to know that um, she w- her real goal was to be an actress. and But that was always the case. So you imagine this woman coming from Chile to New York City in her mid-20s, not really knowing many people, and pursuing acting. That's a very um, powerful statement for a young person uh, from anywhere, let alone that time period. She knew that he was gay or bisexual before they married, um, and I, I keep wondering, like, why did she marry him knowing that his sexual orientation was at least partly not heterosexual? Hopefully the movie is exploring that very question potentially from a viewer um, and and answering it hopefully as well. To me, uh, I certainly understand why she would still do it. Um, their connection was so solid And it was so integral to both of their DNA when they met and the quality of time that they spend together and what they're able to explore together in every way, in every facet, that when she wrote him that letter, and then we turned that into her proposing to him in the the topiary maze of the Tanglewood, um, I'm understanding her. I think, why not give it a whirl, as she wrote? So that's a quote from a letter. Yes. Let's give it a whirl. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Russian conductor and composer Serge Kuzovitsky, um, who emigrated to the U.S., recommended to Bernstein that he keep his life and work clean, meaning, I think, like, keep that you're gay or bisexual hidden. 
um, knowing it could ruin Bernstein's career. And he also suggested to Bernstein that he change his name to Burns, because Zavitsky was Jewish, he knew all about anti-Semitism, and he didn't want Bernstein to be a victim of that. And Bernstein didn't take either part of that advice. Um, what was the extent to which he was out? I think that it was clear within his circle um, who he was. But more importantly, uh, in terms of the movie, which is really what I could speak to, it was about a character who didn't quite understand why he would ever have to lie about anything. And that's why when Felicia tells him, please lie to our daughter, it it really paralyzes him. A man who's extremely verbose and never, never... fails to be articulate about something, finds himself speechless um, at the end of that scene when he lies to his daughter. Yeah, because the, the, the daughter has heard rumors that she's heard, That's correct. that he's gay, and she wants to know if it's true, and Felicia tries to tell Bernstein, don't tell her it's true. And he says, well, I mean, she's at an age where I think that it's probably time where she's able to know what it is, that, and then Felicia says, no, absolutely not. That was our, that was my choice, and he says, "No, no, no, it was our choice to be married and live this way." And um, she says, "Well, don't you dare tell her," and that kind of kills him because he does believe that uh, there is a way to understand it, and I think that's part of potentially his blinders of in his inability to see the pain that he's causing around him. You know, how would you describe Bernstein's place in queer history, in queer like arts history? I feel like. We all know in classical music that Leonard Bernstein was gay or bisexual, as you put it. And of course, you're absolutely right in saying this. Um, but it took many years to be able to be more open in a field, especially that is traditionally associated with um, history, things that are really traditional indeed. Um, and therefore, it's a field that it took more time maybe than other fields for people to really feel they could be openly what they wanted to be. And I have to maybe even credit Lenny for not because he was really out in his life, but actually the fact that he lived this and didn't hide it completely, well, it allowed people like Michael Tilson Thomas or like me to uh, now live it fully, uh, have husbands. And um, this is why also one of the many reasons why this film is so important. Um, it's not so much that it's about a bisexual or gay character, but more about how complex it is. And it's about love. It's about love of a very strong relationship with Felicia. And yet that could also have something else around, not without its pain, of course. And that's uh, um, also the other layer of the movie. But it's um, clearly Lenny, to to get back to really your question, Terry, I mean, clearly Lenny is uh, an immensely... um, inspiring figure um, for pioneering still uh, some of what we we see today, including uh, about sexual orientation. Let's take a short break here. I have two guests. Bradley Cooper stars as composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein in the new film Maestro, which Cooper also directed and co-wrote. Yannick Nézé-Séguin served as the film's conducting consultant. He conducts the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, and the Orchestra Metropolitaine de Montreal. We'll be right back. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from Schwab. 
With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research uncovers emerging trends, then their technology curates relevant stocks into over 40 themes to choose from. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Visit schwab.com thematic investing. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives, empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com slash NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Support for this podcast comes from the Neubauer Family Foundation, supporting WHYY's Fresh Air and its commitment to sharing ideas and encouraging meaningful conversation. There's a scene where Felicia and Leonard Bernstein have a big fight, and she accuses him of being egotistical and showing off on stage and making it seem like only he can appreciate the music so fully, so deeply. And she says by doing that, he diminishes everyone in the audience. And I understand where she's coming from on that. And I wonder how, how if at all, you relate to what she's saying. And Unique, I want to start with you because you are the conductor on stage who is feeling so deeply. But I'm sure you're not trying to say, I'm feeling this more deeply than you are. <laughs> but do you think about that kind of response that the audience might be feeling? Um, maybe it's something that Lenny had been accused of in his lifetime. Um, because, of course, he was a completely larger-than-life person and therefore larger-than-life conductor. And some of, um, well, a lot of what happened, and I remember even as a kid reading about him, um, there was always this sense that, Oh, yes, Leonard Bernstein, he's conducting Brahms and Beethoven, but you know, he's, he's, he's a Broadway composer, really. And then he would compose Broadway and film music and people would say, Oh, yeah, but actually he's a classical musician, you know, so it almost felt like he was super famous and appreciated, but also, um, um, Dismissed misunderstood. In some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, misunderstood because of all this. And I believe that perhaps by experiencing the music on the podium in a very intense and non-censored uh, way, you know, there there was no um, boundaries for Bernstein in, uh, living in the podium. So maybe this could have been um, something that he had been attacked I believe that sometimes we can be as conductors uh, misunderstood and especially Lenny because he was so ahead of his time by wanting to bridge all this. Bradley, what's your response to what Felicia says to Lenny? Well, just in terms of what he had to go through, Bernstein himself, you know, he was often asked about his antics as was, you know, on the podium. And he would always talk about how um, it was all about um, his relationship to the orchestra and to the musicians that he was making music with, and not about him performing for the audience. Um, and I think that's what he was accused of I, uh, throughout his career. 
and that instead it was he didn't even have memory of what he was doing that it wasn't a affected uh, uh, gesture uh, at any moment it was always just completely in the music yeah some people thought he was just too performative that it was just like showing off for the audience. That's right. That not it was somehow peacocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And instead, I mean, he even talked about how he blacked out at his debut. He has no memory of it. Um, the, you know, he remembers the applause. And that, that's when he came to, that he was so inside the music. Well, I can say, uh, really, like Bradley just uh, said, that no orchestra in the world would respond to a conductor who would be theatrical in their way of performative for an audience. This is something that many people forget. They think that the conductor is so aware of the audience that they do something for them. But then orchestras smell that (laughs) miles away. And they stop looking at the conductor and then therefore uh, the conductor cannot have a career or at least not a career in the scope that, you know, Bernstein did. So I I just want to end with some music. Let's close with a Bernstein composition that's in the film, and it's the prologue to West Side Story. This is like the prologue when the jets and the sharks are, you know, the jets are proudly walking down the street, then the sharks start chasing after them, and it leads into the jet song, when when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. I love this so much, Um, and I'd like you to each talk about what makes it great. Yannick, let's start with you. What, What makes this so contagious and energetic I mean how can someone be so virtuosic like Bernstein only him could really have in the same uh, piece influences of you know the Latin and the jazz and um, the the darker and the heavier um and just put this in an orchestration that's purely symphonic, but that, of course, makes a good part for the percussion, you know. I mean, now we almost take it for granted, but nobody had done anything even close to that at that time. And I think this is why I love this music so much. And Bradley, how did you use it in the movie? And what does this mean to you musically? Um, you know, so much of this movie was about introducing the audience to all of his work. And so I, we were sort of having fun with it. It's something that we wrote in the script many years ago about the treating it as sort of, um, and it, and it is the prologue. It's not even, it's, it's separate from West Side Story. So it was something that, that, you know, like much of Lenny's music and life, um, it's joyful and you can have fun with. I want to thank you both so much for the film and for being with us today to talk about it. Thank you, Bradley Cooper and Yannick Nazese again. Thank you. Thank you, a pleasure.
Bradley Cooper co-wrote, directed, and stars in Maestro. Yannick Nézé-Séguin is the film's conducting consultant. He conducts the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra and the Philadelphia Orchestra. Maestro is now streaming on Netflix. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, our guest will be restaurateur Rose Previtt, author of the new cookbook, My Den, Recipes from Lebanon and Beyond. She was raised in the Sicilian Lebanese family in Ohio. She'll share some family recipes and what she learned about food traveling through the Middle East and Eastern Europe. I hope you'll join us. To keep up with what's on the show and get highlights of our interviews, follow us on Instagram at NPR Fresh Air. We'll close with an excerpt from the soundtrack of the classic film On the Waterfront, which starred Marlon Brando. Leonard Bernstein composed the score. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham, with additional engineering today from Adam Staniszewski. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Saman, Anne-Marie Boldonado, Teresa Madden, Thea Chaloner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. Our co-host is Tanya Mosley. I'm Terry Gross. This message comes from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. Whether you're planning a weekend away or an international adventure, All Trips Annual Travel Insurance can protect every trip you take for the next 365 days. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast.